0: You're listening to Mint Condition with Brad Slater, a sports card
1: podcast for the collector by a collector. Hello and welcome. Episode 10, 1, 0, Mint Condition podcast. I am your host, Brad Slater. Thank you for joining me. Yep. We made it to episode 10. Look at us. <laughs> Wow, not a big card week for me. Possession day today, so we got our house today. So it's been like a move pack kind of week. I did pick up a few Jackson holiday first Bowmans. A few color variations, a few graded ones. I think he's the next one coming up. He was just voted the top prospect in all of baseball. So if you collect baseball, get your hands on some Jackson holiday cards now. For the show today, it's a good one. We're going to be speaking with Hockey Night in Canada analyst and mental health advocate, Kelly Rudy. Always a pleasure talking with Kelly. And then secondly on the show, a gentleman that I've been tracking down for a little bit over a year now. He is the CFO of Pat McAfee, Inc. His name is Phil Maines. He's a huge Pittsburgh Penguins fan. So we're going to talk some hockey. We're going to talk some pens. And we're going to learn how Pat and Phil met. Because I don't even know that story and I want to know it. So I'll bring that interview to you today. And as we do, to kick off every show, we have the big guest of the week. And the big guest of the week this week is brought to you by Skyhawk Auctions. Check them out at skyhawkauctions.highbid.com. That's H-I-B-I-D.com. This month's lots include signed baseballs, Pokemon cards young gun lots, and cards from basically every sport. When I was on the site this morning, just a few minutes ago here, one of the items that I was looking at that I think I'm going to bid on and get, I want this Joe DiMaggio picture. I'm a huge collector of vintage baseball, and to get a picture signed by Joe DiMaggio, come on. So no matter what you collect, Skyhawk Auctions has you, the collector, covered. So check them out at skyhawkauctions.highbid.com and get yourself something nice and minty today. And my guest now is an analyst for Hockey Night in Canada. He also is the color commentary voice on the Calgary Flames broadcast on Sportsnet. He is a huge advocate for mental health and he is my friend Kelly Rudy. Good morning Kelly, how are you? I'm doing really well. Brad and yourself? I'm doing really good man. As you know it's a busy week. We got the house, we're moving into a new job on the horizon. So (laughs) it's just like you know slow down for a minute pause button but as we know we can't do that right
0: (laughs) uh that's funny and when you told me that earlier this week that you're you just bought your first house you're moving in and you take possession tomorrow and just so all the the listeners know i did send you a nice text saying hey listen if it's too stressful let's do it later in july right because uh i understand when you're big changes in your life and uh The last thing you probably want to do is talk to an old retired goaltender. No, no, that's the
1: first thing I want to do because I think you and I have a lot (laughs) in common uh, when it comes to mental health and our battles and struggles and and conquering them. And, you know, I wouldn't say we've beaten them because I think you're like me where every day is a different adventure and a different battle. And when I wake up in the morning, I really don't know how the day is going to go right away. And I just was wondering if, if that's the same way that you feel sometimes.
0: Well, I'm taking a breath and I'm hesitating because uh, my brain works uh, a little bit differently than others uh, that have uh, their struggles with mental health. I'm now officially on vacation. And so typically my brain doesn't want to, it's not on fire right now. It's not trying to beat me up daily, but it's just during uh, the anticipation of leading up to another hockey season uh, with my uh, duties as a broadcaster and the travel. And so my, my brain has decided that right now I'm good. Um, but I'm, I'm a little bit hesitant to see how it will, how it will be uh, going into the brand new hockey season. Uh, Brad, I'm taking an, uh, another step. I, I know that you know my story quite well. And I, I was seeing somebody for my mental health for, uh, well, weekly for months and months and months. And I've kind of stopped just a little bit, just because I got basically I got too busy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I've promised myself and my family that I'm going to go back uh, in the late summer, early fall, just so I can get ahead of it, so I don't have the same struggles that I had this season, uh, because I had a really difficult season uh, mentally.
1: See, that's an excellent point because you're not waiting till it's too late, where a lot of people will wait where till it's too late, it's too overwhelming. Um, they, they don't know where to turn where like you, I'm speaking to someone, a lovely lady by the name of Karen. We were the same way speaking uh, weekly and now it's every three weeks. And Mm -hmm. I I can't say how much that is. Sometimes we, we don't even really seem like we talk about anything if that (laughs) makes sense, but you feel (laughs) so relaxed afterwards and so relieved and like the rest of your day is, is just better. And you, you feel clearer. And of course, demons and stuff can pop into your head and and self-doubt and and all the time. Like even before speaking with you today, I'm like, Hey, don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. Don't screw this up. So like, it just, (laughs) it's always, it's always around you. And I think you hit the nail on the head, but it's just, it's just how you handle it. Right.
0: Yeah. And so boy, do I relate to a lot of things that you just touched on right there. Uh, And it's so true. So for people that are thinking of going to see somebody uh, I strongly urge you to do it because it, it makes life so much easier. You're, you don't feel so alone. It's not as difficult. Um, it's very emotional. I can't speak for you, Brad, but yep. the very first time I walked into my person's uh, office, I think I cried for an hour. Yep. Um, and, yeah. And then it got better and better and easier and easier to the point where, I don't know, a few weeks or a couple, three months into it, It was amazing that I didn't even really need to talk about my mental health. I was just doing so well, but it was a safe place for me to go. Our meetings went down to about 20 minutes or 30 minutes, and uh, sometimes, as you mentioned for yourself, we didn't even really talk about mental health. We talked about what's going on in life. We talked a little bit about hockey. We talked about so many different things. But it was a place that I really enjoyed driving to because it was uh, a place that I knew I was going to leave in a really good mood, and it was going to be uh, set me on the course for another week. Um, but I- I'm I can kind of I'm going to jump back a little bit. I can't speak for others that are have gone through something like myself or maybe going through it, but I waited a little bit too long, which is ridiculous, and I shouldn't have, Brad, because. If anybody knows our family story, our daughter Caitlin was diagnosed with OCD and uh, anxiety in uh, 2005 when she was 12 years old. And uh, we waited just a little bit too long, but in our case, for Caitlin, we didn't know that trouble was lurking. We, we, she was behaving in a particular way, but we just thought uh, we're parents. And maybe those are quirky little habits that her sisters didn't have. We didn't know about mental health. And so fast forward in 2019 when my thoughts started coming back because I had an episode in 1992-93 when my thoughts started coming back in the summer of 2019 we're out golfing at Predator Ridge the season was on the horizon and and at that point I should have gone to get the help I needed and I waited uh, and basically suffered until what fall of 2021 till I finally went and saw the person that I needed to. And what a relief that was, but don't, if don't, if you're listening to this, don't be like me, don't wait so long. It's it's just, it's too painful.
1: See, I want to go back now too, and, and touch on a guy that, that means a lot to you. And you didn't mention his name there, but I know he's, has a huge, huge place in your heart and that's Barry Melrose. Um, do you want to talk about, like, 92, 93 early on? I know you guys went to the final that year. Everyone would think you mm. would be on, like, cloud nine, top of the world, rock star, superstar. But sometimes that, that isn't the
0: case for everybody, right? Yeah, so that was interesting. Uh, Donna was pregnant with our third child, which is Caitlin. And uh, that was in the summer of 92. Uh, and I was entering my 10th year in the National Hockey League. And now just a little bit of background. The average career is about three, three and a half years. So I'm thinking, okay, uh, I'm going to be a father again. Uh, my career at that point, I'm having these, what I think were rational thoughts, like how much longer can you play? You, you know, you've got to feed the family, um, all these sorts of things. Eventually you're going to have to put them through school and university and so on. And so I personally think those are rational thoughts. Uh, and then in the, Early fall, beginning of training camp, I was able to contain those thoughts and keep them as being pretty rational. And then as the season started, my thoughts turned from rational to irrational, and they became louder. Mm -hmm. And they were like, you're not good enough. You can't keep this up. And by the way, I got off to a great start that year, even though I was battling those thoughts. And then finally, in uh, early December, uh, I went in a ditch that I couldn't get out of. And luckily for me, the man that you mentioned, Barry Melrose, recognized there was something wrong with me, uh, and not physically, but mentally. And so uh, in January, he introduced me to, I believe it was January 17th, that's how vivid this memory still is, of 1993. I'm in the dressing room. We have an afternoon game. I'm not playing. I'm the backup and Rob Stauber's playing and uh, in walks Barry Melrose into our dressing room and he's followed closely by Tony Robbins. Now,
2: wow.
0: that that isn't entirely unusual when you play for LA at the time because we had Wayne Gretzky. So we had okay, celebrities, yep. uh, yeah, tons after games, but not not normally before, but it wasn't entirely unusual either. And so... They go into Barry's coach's office, and then a minute later, Barry comes out and motions me over to come in his office. And I I got up, and Brad, this is how poorly I was thinking of myself at the time. I go, why in the world would Tony Robbins want to meet the lousiest goalie in the National Hockey League? Now, when you're the starting goalie on perhaps the most popular team in the entire world because of Wayne – Uh, that's not a good thing. That's not a good place to be. And so Tony introduced or Barry introduces uh, myself to Tony. And luckily for me, I was able to work with Tony Robbins uh, one-on-one for uh, a number of different sessions. And my results were immediate. Okay. I I got out of that bad place. Yeah. I got out of that bad place uh, within a week or two. I still had struggles. I'm not going to paint the picture that all of a sudden I was flying high again. It took me truly another two months to really get through it and find some consistency again in my game. And as you mentioned, we ended up going to the finals, but, and then, you know, for the most part, I, you know, I had a little bit of anxiety, but I think most people do in certain situations. And for the rest of my life until about that summer of 2019, when those thoughts started coming back and they're all basically the same, they were, Okay, how much longer can you do it? You've been on national television for 20 years. um, And, you know, that's a long time. There were a lot of people that were leaving our company. uh, And so I started thinking, okay, well, you're next. And to maybe not be next, you better be perfect on air, which is ridiculous, Brad. When you think live television, you're never going to be perfect. And, you know, you're going to make tons of mistakes, and you better just get used to it. And so now after seeing my person, you know, I'm so much better and I understand I'll make tons of mistakes. And he gave me a whole bunch of tips. And here's what's really cool, Brad. And and I don't know if people would ever see it, but now moving forward, they might notice that I keep a little laminated index card with me me in my wallet everywhere I go now. And uh, that's the same sort of thing I used to do when I was still a player after working with Tony Robbins. I kept a laminated index card with me and I would look at it before the start of every game, in the intermissions, and at the start of every period, just to make sure I kept these great little reminders, these nice thoughts, uh, real in my head. And I'm doing it again now. And so on the desk, every once in a while, you will see this index card. And I know you can't see what I have uh, printed out on this card, but it's a, a really thing about me and who I am and how I sort of basically you know, I should be proud of myself kind of. Yeah. And the, the I love my last line, Brad. So the person helping me, uh, after I'd seen him for a while, he goes, you know what, Kelly, you deserve this success. And i would never heard that. I, you, you know, I'd, I was always one of those guys, right. To beat myself up. Like a lot mm-hmm. of people do, you know, not, you know, never being kind to myself. And finally I'm like, yeah, I do deserve this. And, you know, it's such a peaceful way to go into, uh, Uh, a broadcast if I can ever get peaceful (laughs) that's the other thing
1: (laughs) now uh now because we have so much in common with this whenever either of us are having a a really bad day I'll just text you or you text me and we each know how each other you know we feel the same way
0: sometimes so we'll be able to help each other now in you know what hang on though Brad and I'll I'll hold you to that and you know because of this whole pandemic, I've done a number of podcasts with people that I don't know. And up until this, we didn't really know each other. Yeah. And and I've done that. Like I, I text a whole bunch of people that are, I feel like are in my little community and we're friends because of the pandemic and the podcast and talking about mental health, which is a really cool thing, right? This would never have happened
1: 10, 15 years ago, um, two grown men. No. Sitting- talking about this we would have been called you know wusses you're not strong you guys aren't men to be talking about this when in actuality we're very strong for talking about this and i've even noticed i don't know if you have but i've had messages like i'm just a a former sports producer that works on the railway that just does a podcast but i've even got a few messages of like it's your podcast has really helped me thank you so much um stuff like that and it goes a long way and it makes you feel good too
0: knowing that you help someone oh boy i I couldn't agree more. And, you know, I know you follow me on social media and on, on occasion, I post stuff about my mental health and, yep. you know, whether I'm doing well or if I'm struggling and, and that is the community I'm talking about. Uh, you know, it comes from love. Uh, and, you know, I was, I was lucky to work with a guy, Shirely Najak for years and years and years uh, at, at hockey night in Canada, CBC. And then he moved over with myself at sports. and so he's not there any longer, but he's a beautiful soul and he taught me many years ago you can approach most situations either two ways you can come at it with a red heart which is love or you can come at it with a black heart which is hate and you know spreading ill will and all this and, and I use my social media for the most part just to build this community about who we are and we can be supportive and it blows me away whenever I, I say something or post a message and the responses I get are just so beautiful and heartwarming and I used to try and respond to every single one, Brad, and I, I would love to do it, but I'm just now overwhelmed by how many people reach out, which is, again, that community that I love and it's really important for all of us.
1: No, that's a really good thing. Now, I wanted to ask before ninety two, ninety three, when you started to really notice mental health uh, problems that you were having, did you ever have a bad game and, and go to the hotel room at night and, and lay in bed and just overplay the game too much in your head and not be able to get yourself to go to sleep. Um, Even though it wasn't really a mistake, it went off three people's skates and an arm to beat you to, to lose the game, let's say, but you really beat yourself up over it. Did that ever happen?
0: Okay. So I don't exactly know my stats. I'm not much of a stats guy, but I think I played somewhere around 700 games in the national hockey league regular season ballpark around, actually I do know this, 85 playoff games. So I can tell you every single game, 100%, win or lose. When I finally put my head on my pillow, I went over the game from start to finish. And sometimes I liked the game and sometimes I hated it. And that's how my brain works. And and oftentimes I still do the same after a broadcast. When my head finally hits my pillow, I go over the, the broadcast. Although I'm much, much better at just letting it go now i'll tell you a story how uh, you know i think i've made the progress with the person i'm seeing uh uh about a year ago you know maybe a little bit longer i had a flames game with rick ball my play-by-play uh partner great guy and i didn't have a uh, yeah oh, and my gosh you see a great broadcaster and anyway so i didn't have a strong night I was distracted because I think I had to travel the next day to Toronto. And I was thinking about the the Saturday broadcast and, uh, and we had to do uh, a hit after for the taped hockey central show. And my mind wasn't into it. And I booted it all around. I wasn't very good. I didn't look like a very good professional broadcaster. And I was at the end of it. I think I was waiting for the producer to say something like this in my ear. Like, you want to do that again? Mm -hmm. And I said, you know, I said, you know, I'm happy with that one. I want that one to go to air because I needed that for my own personal well-being. I needed a really bra- bad show to go to air so that I knew that the next day when I woke up, nothing bad was going to happen. It was like I, a relief still a broadcaster. Yeah. Yes, it was like a relief. Like, you know what? There would have been a bunch of people that watched that bad segment I just put out there and would have thought, oh, my gosh, is he terrible. And I have to be okay with that.
1: Now, I want to ask the story behind the famous blue bandana, because I first followed and learned about it. Don Cherry would never let you go for this. Now, he loved it. I loved (laughs) it. What was it, and what was the purpose for
0: wearing it? Okay, so there's no fantastic story that you're going to hear, and it's going to be the most boring thing. So even as a kid growing up in Edmonton, I always had long hair, and then as I got older, I had wearing contacts. And so when I made the NHL, my long hair – and I always used to sweat a ton. So long hair, sweating, and contacts is not a great combination. And so for all my early years in the National Hockey League, I was trying to find some sort of headband that would do two things, keep the hair out of my eyes, and probably most importantly, try and keep the sweat out of my eyes. And so – The second part was the hardest thing to do, so I couldn't find anything was really absorbent enough to do that. So, one day before practice on Long Island, when I'm playing for the Islanders, I I just got to the rink, and uh, I don't know if you'd remember this, Brad, but long before you would have been watching National Hockey League games, all of us wore these uh, this kind of underwear under our equipment and. Yes, And it had dark, dark blue around the collars and and around
1: the arms, right? 100%.
0: Yeah, I remember that stuff. It was Stanfield's underwear or pajamas or whatever you want to call them. So I took that top and I cut it up into long strips and basically just tied it, folded it in half and tied it around my head. And I went out for practice and I was like, holy, you know what? This is actually pretty good. (laughs) And then you know as the years went on it kind of became my trademark and i kind of hated it after a while and then i had some friends and family when i was thinking of getting rid of it they said no you can't kelly because it's your trademark but uh, i can tell you i threw the day i retired literally i was here in calgary and i went into my uh, shaving kit where i kept all those in my hockey bag I grabbed a whole bunch of the blue bandanas and I threw them straight in the garbage. And that was so stupid because I could have made some money off those. (laughs) eBay.
1: (laughs) Do you remember a point in Los Angeles during a warm-up where there was like a little kid down by the front of the glass that was wearing the bandana?
0: Yes, I do. And that was kind of cool. And, you know, people have been really, yeah, people have been really gracious with me whether I'm in Toronto for a, a hockey night broadcast or, you know, I might be somewhere in Ottawa or who knows where. Uh, and I'll be out for dinner and, uh, somebody will come over and go, I'm the reason, or you're the reason I'm, I'm playing goal. And I started wearing a bandana and stuff and, yes. and wouldn't they share that? I mean, that's just so cool. I'm just upset. You never
1: got a sponsor from somebody like Nike never came to you or somebody that was like, Hey, like, let's make this guy a headband.
0: <laughs> like, come on now. That, you that- know, what, you know what was cool? So in 2013, it's hard to imagine 10 years ago, uh, I was honored by the LA Kings, uh, and, uh, before the game and I, uh, much to my surprise, I'm in the building. I was broadcasting that night, but before there's a nice ceremony, uh, before the game for me and, uh, and my family and stuff and Luke Robitaille and the business, uh, manager, they came up with this cool thing that they're trying to think what they could do to make it a little bit different and what would really stand out. And they came up and they thought, you know what, we have to give all 20,000 people back no. then in the Staples Center a blue bandana. So Gosh. all those people that went to that game in March of 2013 uh, received the blue bandana. I, I suspect a few kept them, most probably would have thrown them in garbage on the way out of the building, but some would still have them.
1: I would have kept it. I still have my uh, tongue from when McTavish pulled out Harvey the Hound's tongue. The next Battle of Alberta <laughs> game, the uh, the Flames, great PR team they have down there. They handed uh, out Harvey the Hound tongues uh, to everyone going to the game that night. So that was funny.
0: Speaking, oh, that's amazing, right?
1: <laughs> speaking with Kelly Rudy, Kelly, I got to ask you, you're on my podcast. So I got to ask you about Wayne Gretzky. Do you mind sharing the story about the first time that you met Wayne Gretzky?
0: Okay, so I was uh, in Edmonton. It was July of 1987. Uh, my wife and I just had Jessica, our oldest at that point. We're visiting my mom and dad in Edmonton, and uh, I get a call. Oh, I have to – the backstory is uh, earlier that summer, I got a call from Bobby Clark, and he invited me to try out for Team Canada for the Canada Cup in uh, Montreal in August of 87. And okay. so that was a huge deal, right? So. Anyways, I'm back home, and I get a call. Uh, I think my mom answered the phone, and she goes, Kelly, the phone's for you. And so I go, hello? And and the guy on the other end of the line goes, Kelly, it's Wayne Gretzky. And I'm like, oh, my gosh, cool. And uh, then he goes, hey, listen, I'm in town, and uh, I want to know if you want to get together and we can take some shots and do some drills and stuff uh, because we have camp in, I don't know, two weeks or something. And uh, I said, of course. So he goes, okay, meet me like in two days at the Argyle arena. So I'm, I'm going there. I'm thinking, well, there's going to be a bunch of us and, you know, it'll be really good for me. And I get there and I'm in a dressing room by myself about half hour, 45 minutes before getting ready. And uh, then the door opens and there's uh, Wayne and Janet and Janet had her skates as well so it was just Wayne and I on the ice at Argyle Arena for about an hour and a half and we did a bunch of skating things and you know trying to get ready and he took a million shots on me and Janet was at the other end and she was learning hockey at the time and so it was just a I don't think many other people on the planet have a story quite similar to that
1: did you ever bring it up again when uh, you eventually became teammates in Los Angeles? Did you guys ever sit out one night having a cigar or a, a bevy after the game or on the bus and were just like, hey, you remember that rink in Edmonton in 87? <laughs> Did that ever come up again?
0: Uh, I don't know. You know what? I don't, but, you know, I'm not trying to be a name dropper, but I think I'm going to text him and I'm going to just text him later today and go, hey, listen, I was just doing a podcast <laughs> and uh, Brad... Just reminded me of our first meeting and then how actually that first meeting led to being teammates on that Canada Cup team. And then that uh, coincidentally led to the trade uh, from New York to L.A. because Wayne uh, was a big part of my going to Los Angeles.
1: And I also know that a big part of your career and one of the things that you liked most was not the food, but it was the team meals being together. Well, you like the food, but you like the time together around yep. the table and being with the guys. And that's one of the things that you miss most. What was your go-to meal and what was Wayne's go-to meal back in, back in the day? Like say, you know, it's April 14th, 1990. You just eliminated the flames on Mike Kruselniski's, you know, tip over Mike Vernon. So, <laughs> so you, you beat Vernon and Jr. You got to beat him again. Um what did you guys eat that night, and then what was uh, what was your go-to's when you guys would go out?
0: Well, okay, different stories there. Well, first of all, Mike deservedly was given the honor of being uh, going into the Hockey Hall of Fame, which I'm so happy. And yep. you know, Mike has been one of my favorite uh, teammates I've ever had. I, my last year in San Jose, we finally were able to team up and be partners. And but, Mike, you're right. Mike and I played in the, against each other in the U-17 uh, Provincial Championships in, what, 1978, and we prevailed in that one. Uh, he got the better of me at times in the National Hockey League. I got him a couple times, but we were really cool friends. That night where Khrushaniski scored on him, it was an important like time in my life because Don and I were transitioning, even though we are living in L.A., we always knew we were going to move back to uh, Canada at some point. We didn't know where exactly. But after the game, Mike and I were visiting, actually. My dad was in the room, too. It was just the three of us. And we were in the trainer's room uh, outside the L.A. Kings dressing room, and we were chatting. And, you know, he was kind of down. And, you know, I'm pretty darn happy. But we are talking about Calgary. And he he, in fact, that night or later that summer sort of – put us in the direction where to buy some land in Calgary. And we did. We took his advice. We bought land where he suggested, and we still live in the house. Wonderful. But food would have been different because I had kids back then. I would have had two daughters. And so after the game, all of us would have gone home. But get back to your story about where Wayne and I or my teammates would have gone because it is important. I like that, sharing dinner with my friends and my teammates. Yeah. Like we do now with the Sportsnet crew. I have so many fun dinners uh, from the final. This year, a few weeks ago in Vegas and in Florida, uh, with Kevin Biexa and Ron and Jennifer and Elliot and David Amber and some of the other people behind the scenes. But who, who has the anyways, who has if, the alligator art arms before we go here? The bill comes. No, we're all generous. We take turns. <laughs> I don't know about and that, so Elliot. That, though, Elliot, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> no, we're all. It, it, that's what. That's why it works so well. Everybody's very generous, and so that works. But. I would say back in the day when we'd go out for dinner the night before a game, I would have uh, ordered up a big juicy prime rib or a medium well done steak, something okay. like that. And Wayne would have gone along the same way or same uh, uh, avenue for sure.
1: All right, a couple of last quick ones here for you Kelly. I really appreciate your time speaking with Kelly Rudy from Hockey Night in Canada. Have you had a chance, I know what's your favorite one of your favorite places in the world. Have you had a chance to go to the Rocky Mountains this summer yet?
0: Well, we're driving through next week. So, oh, we're going to stop in golf. Yes, we're going to stop and golf in Golden. Okay. And then we're going to golf in Revelstoke. And I don't know if uh, any of your listeners are golfers, but those are two hidden gems that you have to go to beautiful courses. And from there, uh, Brad, we're going to head down to what I call my happy place. We're going to go to Predator Ridge, just outside Vernon for a couple of weeks. All of our kids, their husbands, our grandchildren are coming. But I I do want to finish on that note about uh, the Rocky Mountains. So you obviously have done a lot of research in me. Growing up in Edmonton, my mom and dad, just the kindest, most sweet people, And uh, we had a small little trailer that my brother, Ken, and I, the four of us would go camping to Banff and Jasper. And we didn't have much money, but we had the best family you could ever have. Uh, Perfect uh, mom and dad. And they gave me a gift uh, of a love of the mountains. And so I passed that gift on to my girls. My brother and his wife, Sue, have passed on that same gift to his three sons. And so uh, whenever I get a chance, uh, to go to Banff or Jasper, or Yo, Yoho or Kootenay. Yep. Uh, in fact, I'm thinking of going to Jasper in the fall for golfing. But I, I, I grew up more about mountain biking and hiking, and so those are my favorite memories. And at that, at some point when my life is coming to that point, and I'm going to have maybe one final vacation, it's going to be definitely to the Canadian Rocky Mountains
1: just so close it's just so beautiful and not enough people go in oh boy take it all in yeah the one thing this is gonna seem so weird but I remember a memory you're talking about traveling to to Jasper and Banff as a kid I remember my first time going we went up the tram we came down and there was a gift shop and they had these switchblade combs and I thought I was like seven or eight years old and I was such a badass because it looked like a switchblade knife but it was a comb and then I got that and those candy canes that were like root beer flavored or strawberry or that all the the Jasper gift shops had so yeah there's some good memories for both of us
0: (laughs) well I, I a memory that really came to me was I was reading the Newspaper about, a, I think this week, in fact, and some of the people listening to this might be familiar with the story, but I think these two Dutch hikers, I, I think that's where they're from, and they were in Jasper National Park last week when there was a big snowstorm, unexpected, and they were on a trail called uh, into the Fryat Valley. And I remember the first time my brother and I went into this valley, and it's very remote. I think you bike about 10 kilometers maybe a little bit more and then you hike another 15 kilometers and you climb this big head wall then you get to this cabin and they got snowed in I think oh, no. 55 centimeters and they're only prepared for rain and so they're basically you know I don't want to stretch it too far but I think they sort of said it was kind of like life and death and yeah. so when I think of my experiences in Banff and Jasper and all these remote hikes that just man it, it just it gives me so much energy because my brother and I used to do that for about two weeks every summer when I was a player, just for to really top off my training. And there is nothing like it.
1: And the best part about now is just leaving all technology behind and just you and Don just getting out there, take the dogs, just go for yes. a walk, and just there's nothing like it. Now, before you go, I know your 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 yep. daughter Caitlin and Hayden they have an amazing clothing line called More Good Days. Uh, I was wondering if you could talk about that a little
0: bit and how people can check it out. So, yeah, so after, as I mentioned, Caitlin was 12 when she was diagnosed with OCD and anxiety, and uh, after four years of extensive therapy, so now she's 16, and by extensive, I mean, man, she was uh, in a rough place, so she was going sometimes three times a week to, to get her in a place where life was more manageable, but she came to us, and she goes, Mom, Dad, I'm starting to have more good days than bad, and I thought to myself, oh, my gosh, that is the most profound statement yes. uh, I have heard, um, and it really put into perspective still how much more work we had to do and Caitlin had to do uh, with her therapist, Dr. Kelly Moraz, here in Calgary. Uh, and and then so fast forward after many years of good days and uh, you know some struggles, uh, just before I believe Hayden and Caitlin got married in the summer of 2020, they come, came up with this idea to start a clothing line, as you mentioned, moregooddaysclothing.com is where you can find it. And and so that's the genesis of it. When she came to us and said, Mom, Dad, I'm having more good days than bad, that they just shortened the slogan. But there are many deep messages in the, those hoodies and the paint yep. or the artwork. Hayden, by the way, is, a, is that's, he is an artist by trade. So he makes all those. But if you look at some of the early works, there's a a beautiful garden in a lot of the on the the T-shirts and so on. That goes back to when Kate and I would do a lot of her breathing sessions. Uh, And I know a lot of people can relate to this when you're going through mental health. And, and, you know, you ask the person, what's your level right now? And 10 being the worst and one being best. And often Kate would be at a 9 or a 10. So we'd have to do our breathing sessions, whether I was at home or on the road we do it by phone for three, four hours. And her goal ultimately was to get to her garden, which that's on the artwork. Right. And so it was just beautiful that, you know, we're able to breathe and breathe and finally get to uh, maybe a a level five or six, hopefully maybe, maybe a four, if we had a tremendous day, but that's, and so they're so beautiful and they're, they share their story and, you know, they're, I'm happy to say that they're doing really well right now. And, uh, You know, not without challenges. Everybody has their challenges. And as you know, Brad, if you've had mental health issues, I'd like to say that they go away when you get the help. But in a lot of cases, they're going to stick around. They may just be in different forms.
1: Yeah. And you just keep your friends and loved ones around you just to help keep pushing them farther and farther away when they get closer. So, Kelly, you're an amazing broadcaster. You're an amazing goaltender but you're an even better person and I could spend all day talking mental health and hockey with you. So thank you so much. We'll have to do this again and all the best to you and your family, man. My pleasure,
0: Brad. This is uh, important. And and keep in mind, I'm going to hold you to it, my friend, that if you're having a tough day, you, you send me a text and as soon as I can, you'll go, Hey, Kelly, do you have five minutes to chat? And we'll chat and uh, make sure that you're, you're feeling a little bit better.
1: I'm going to definitely hold you to that too. And I'll use your uh, daughter's number system. I'll be like, Kelly, I'm, I'm at an eight today. You got a few minutes. So I'll hold you to that too, there my friend. So get out there, enjoy the Rocky okay. Mountains and uh, you take care, bud.
0: You got it. Thanks, Brad.
1: Visit us at mycardsaremint.com. Follow us on Twitter at mycardsaremint. We're back here on Mint Condition. I'm happy to be joined by my next guest. He is a CFO, Pat McAfee Incorporated. Pat McAfee. Biggest sports show, my favorite sports show in all of North America, if not the world. Uh, I'm joined by Phil Maines, the man behind the show. Phil, how are you, man? Doing well,
2: Brad. Thank you uh, very much for having me. What's your What's your favorite show outside of North America, I'm wondering?
1: <sighs> I don't really have any. I would include Canada. <laughs> <laughs> I'll put you on the spot there. You no, did put good. me on Appreciate the spot. The I'm trying to work. think. Um, no, I, I used to like get up every morning and it would be like, good morning, football. And then being a Canadian, you'd have to squeeze in like a little bit of hockey and then Pat would come on at 10 o'clock and then, you know, 10 to one was basically booked. And then your afternoon drive home show that you had in Edmonton. But I don't know if you're aware of this. You probably aren't. Um, we lost our sports station last week. TSN 1260 uh, ESPN or TSN was ESPN affiliate too. Um, Bell Media decided to shut down, lose 1300 jobs across Canada. So Edmonton does not have a sports radio station anymore.
2: That seems like a missed opportunity
1: there. Definitely, because um you know how big hockey is in Canada and just all sports in general, but now there just isn't an outlet for you know, one of the biggest hockey hotbeds in Canada with if not the best player in the world and no sports radio station of any kind. So I just think that's kinda of weird and it kinda of sucks for everybody, but it is what it is, right?
2: Yeah, I can't imagine that last long. Someone's gonna pick up that opportunity, I
1: would think. Just, you know, slip a message to Pat, send an email, be like, Hey, you got a market untapped untapped market yeah. growing up in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. When did you start to become a sports fan? Were was it at an early age? Did you always follow sports or did you did you play uh as a kid?
2: Yeah, definitely at an early age. Um I always thank my dad. Uh you know, I was four four and 5 years old when the Pens went back-to-back in 91-92. Okay. Um and my dad grew up playing, you know, football and baseball kind of like everybody in Western Pennsylvania does. And um, I think, you know, when the pens, everybody kind of caught pens and hockey fever uh, with with Lemieux and Yager and all those guys back then. And my dad had no idea. He didn't know how to skate. I've never seen him skate to this day. Kind of threw me on the ice with a bucket. And uh, I just fell in love with it. Um, You know, I ended up playing baseball and football too uh, throughout high school, but, Hockey was always, and I still think it's the best sport in the world. Um, I just think it combines so many things, and it's so unique. Um, You know, just being on the blades uh, instead of on your feet just adds like a different element to it um, for me. And Super thankful for, uh, you know, being involved in the game. It's taught me so much and so many relationships um, through playing the game and uh, still love to follow it
1: today. Going back to those early pens teams of the 90s, I was a Kevin Stevens fan. Like I know everyone like yogurt or everyone like Lemieux, when you're playing street hockey, you had the one guy that was Tom Barrasso. But who was it for you when you were a kid? Was it was it one of the big two or did you were you like me and you, you like, you know, the side guys like Kevin Stevens, Rob uh Larry Murphy, no, who was the defenseman? Yeah, yeah, Larry Murphy yeah, on the Mar- yeah, That's what I thought. Okay. And Paul Coffey, Look, of course. I mean,
2: looking back, yeah, looking back on that team, I always liked Paul Coffey. Um, I remember reading a story or hearing a story when I was younger about how small his skates were that yep. he wore. Um, you know, it's pretty, I think still uh, the idea is to kind of go like a shoe size or a size less than your shoe. Um, and he wore like, I forget what I'm going to mess up the, uh, the exact number or whatever, but his were like way smaller than that. And um, just watching him fly around the ice. I love, I love, coffee for sure but i'm also a big golf guy um i play i play defense so um you know and kind of had had a little bit of a football player in me too Mm -hmm. so i think golf kind of uh played it that way um
1: So no one came across the trolley tracks on Phil Maines when he was running the blue line. No one came across the middle. Uh,
2: Yeah, it was kind of a different time back then. It'd be hard to find any, uh, any video of it at this point. But, um, yeah, that's kind of, that was kind of like my outlet, I guess. Not that I had, I wouldn't think I was like an angry person by any means, but, um, it was like, Oh, you're going to, you're allowed to do this, you know, like competitive nature. Yeah. um, I I, I can hit this person. Yeah. It's, it's, you know, he doesn't really have anywhere to run, like, there's nowhere to go, and, um, yeah, I love, I love that part of the game, uh, the physical part, um, so, yeah, back then, yeah, coffee and, and all, um, already, yeah, like you said, Kevin Stevens was just a, just a beast, kind of, yeah. don't really have um, that kind of player in the game so much anymore, no. which, which is fortunate. but it is, it's such a, you know, the skill is just, unreal not that he didn't have skill but just being a big bruiser like that
1: um dustin brown uh, when the kings won the cup in 2011 he reminded me a little bit of kevin stevens because he was able to get close to that 30 goal total but he was also a physical force on the ice for the kings so dustin brown i know he recently retired but he was one of the guys that kind of like always stood out for me as 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 a kevin stevens like player
2: yeah and you'll have more you know I don't get to see the West Coast guys as much, um, which is what's, what's cool about the playoffs. is kind of like seeing, um, you know, those teams more on a night-in, night-out basis. Um, but, yeah, it's uh, it's still, like, it seems like it's still an important part of the game, um, especially in the play. You know, Pat Maroon's had a lot of success. Yep. Um, so you kind of can find guys that are keys um to players like that even like the, the Knights fourth line um you know i would see those guys come out like uh Kolasar and you know they had some, some uh wah uh, they had some big guys that were you know i watched them cycle down low and stuff when some of those like six six nothing games or whatever and i'm yep. like there's just no way that you guys <laughs> want to be out there against them right now
0: no, um I'm just getting yeah,
2: as, long as you have- yeah as long as you have the skill to keep up um you know there's definitely still a place in the game for for those types of guys
1: do you think uh Connor mcdavid gets the love and attention he should get in the in the united states or is he mentioned not that much because it's, it's hard to tell from up here looking down because he's mentioned quite a bit up here um does he get a lot of attention down in the states do you hear his name often you do yeah um yeah, you do. I mean, hockey in general,
2: to be honest, doesn't get a whole lot of even with you know the ESPN and the TNT stuff that that went on. It's not like they're covering it twenty four seven now. You know, they're they're broadcasting the games, and you can find the games there. And um, you know, you have like the intermission shows, but there weren't shows brought in on top of that to kind of promote or you know grow the grow the game at all. Uh, you get your like I said you get your intermission, you get the game, and then you get your intermission, and then uh, you know back to back to regular programming. There's not really that show, you know, Sports Center. You'll get a little bit of love on there occasionally, but yeah, there's not a whole a whole lot of hockey love. But I don't know, maybe that's kind of what I like about it too. Um, you can get worn out the things that they do cover seem to get blasted because they cover it all the time. And then you get like the people that, that hate it because of that, you know, like they will say like uh, ESPN only covers LeBron and then people don't want to hear about LeBron anymore. So Hoggy at least has that going for it. Like you're not going to hear too much about any of those guys. Um, But yeah, there's definitely, you know, people are, are certainly aware of, of McDavid. He's just a highlight machine. You know, I think if he was like a, you know, say he put up 150 points, but you know he wasn't. Uh, you know, he was just banging in rebounds or something like that. I think yeah. he'd be a little bit more under the radar. But his, you know, his speed and his skill just stands out. Where he's making you know top ten plays, you know, every once in a while, and just the the, the pure amount of points. Um, I think it's the most since Lemieux in Lemieux yeah. and 96 or something like. that. Yeah, I it correctly.
1: Yeah, you got it. You got um, it. Most, the most since nineteen ninety six. The game uh, is kind of uh, growing too. I feel too, because like even looking at you know your guys' uh, show feed and and social media pages, I'd say within even since January or the start of last hockey season, um, all the guys have been posting way more hockey content, uh, more hockey guests, more hockey talk on the show. Um, so I think the game is growing. Um, it's sad to see situations like Arizona. Um, But it's good to see places like Florida where, you know, you didn't think this kind of trend or or game could take off. Hopefully they can continue it and keep packing the building. But you like seeing, you know, Carolina, Tampa, Florida, Anaheim, San Jose, L.A. Those teams that aren't, you know, hockey hotbeds have success and and have, you know, fans go to the games, right?
2: Yeah, for sure. And they've hit home runs with Vegas and Seattle. Yeah, I mean, at least so far, which is good to see, you know, compared to, I don't know, Atlanta and Arizona, you know, kind of swings and misses on those ones, um, at least at the moment. But, you know, just winning just takes, you know, it just gets the city excited. I was happy that the NHL was kind of the first to Vegas and now teams are following. Yeah. I'm hoping that that does, um, you know, it might dilute it a little bit as people find other things, you know, with the Raiders and, now baseball talking about going there but at least hockey's been there now you kind of can get those like those first through the door fans of you know maybe the other stuff won't interest them quite as much you know because they're they're becoming you know big time hockey fans big time Knights fans um and then yeah seattle too um you know the expansion draft certainly helps that the way it was uh set up for those teams but I think you know, why not do that? You know, why not give them a little bit of advantage and and like you said, try to put your footprint on that market and kind of grab grab hold of the the fan base while you can um so I think it was a good move, and I'm excited yeah i hope it I hope it grows i don't you know i'm not uh I don't need it to be like the most popular sport um I'm gonna no matter what, and like I said, I kinda kind of like the you know the the under radar part of it um in pittsburgh it's it's not under the radar by any means you know since yeah. are are here and we've been super super lucky to um you know i take my my son and the rest of the family down and you know we look at i look at the banners hanging in there like the scoring titles and you know from lemieux to Yager to crosby and malkin and, and you know you try to especially at my age now like the players that I've gotten to, to watch and the players that, you know, my kids are, have grown up watching now. It's like, you know, not every team has one of these scoring titles, you know, yeah. terms of two, two banners worth full up there. Um, and the cups too, you know, five cups in my lifetime and, um, you know, three in my, uh, my daughter's lifetime. And it's like some people wait their whole lives for that, you know, so Red Sox we're fan. super fortunate. That have the pens and just the organization in in general, you know, with Lemieux being around as long as he was, um, you know, as the owner and kind of just building that organization into what I think is, you know, one of the best in the league for sure. So it'd be interesting to see where where they go from here.
1: Do you think they kept Malkin and Crosby together too long? If you had your way, would you have gotten? Well, I would have kept Sid. Um, would you have traded Malkin or tried to a little bit harder within the last three years? Or do you think, uh, are you okay with them keeping them together?
2: That's a good question. Um, I'm okay with it for
1: sure.
2: I mean, people that know way worse than me are making those decisions.
1: Because Edmonton's um, going to be facing the same thing next summer with Leon Drysidel's contract coming up. And then the next summer will be Connor McDavid. So Edmonton's going to have that right. situation that Pittsburgh had a few, you know, five, six years ago next summer? It's just going to be interesting to see how it plays out.
2: Not an easy call by any means, but um, you know, one team wins the Cup every year, so you know, the odds are, are against you, so you're going to give, you know, you're going to keep um, kind of I want to say once in a lifetime, but really yeah. in Pittsburgh it hasn't been once in a lifetime, but you're going to keep top-end talent and you know, allow the, the the people in Pittsburgh to see them every single night um, you know even if it's at the end of the careers I mean Crosby scored I think over 90 points this year and you know Malkin still can dazzle you with with some things he does Um, you know only one team is going to win every year so even if you're not that team if you're putting that product on the ice I mean I don't see how people can complain about that Um, I mean people will complain about anything but to me uh, you know I'll take I'll take watching those guys do I, I want them to win, of course, but, you know, are you going to look at the Yager trade? You know, that depends me back in the yeah. day. I mean, Chris Beach. Um, I can't remember the other guy's names uh, at the moment, but it didn't necessarily work out. Um, so, you know, are you going to pull the trigger on something like that? that's less than, you know, maybe a 50-50 chance of, of working out or making you better? Um, or are you going to keep this, you know, legendary player and have played his whole career in Pittsburgh. I mean, I love that. I think that's so special that Lemieux didn't play anywhere else. I love that. You know, it doesn't seem like Crosby and Malkin will likely play anywhere else. Um, kind of makes you feel like Pittsburgh is kind of like a special place. Um, it is. If you think about it, i about even, Chris
1: Latang too. Like, you know, I'm just thinking about that now. They have a lot of players that have stayed there for a, a long period of time, if not their whole career, right?
2: Yeah, I'm a big Chris Thang guy. Um, fortunate to not to not that I have to defend that by any means, but um <laughs> he takes some some criticism here in Pittsburgh for, for sure, but I just love watching him play and um I think he can for so long. He's really done it all. His his conditioning, his skating, his you know, physical play, you know, people complain about he's not a power play guy. I'm like, okay, cool. yeah. <laughs> he he's he, you know, the coaches put him in that position. He's the best that they have to do it. You know, quarterbacks
1: not, the power play and he also isn't afraid to take the hit. That guy has taken some hellacious hits over his career and he bounces up. And, and uh, it was good to see him get the award the yeah, other night too. So I, I'm a huge fan of his as well.
2: I'm a huge fan. He, yeah. I kind of always, I always go to the, uh, you
1: know, like nine
2: out of 10 times. He's like squashing a play that you don't even recognize. Like he's making a play that, you know, you don't really see it, it's away from the net or like not even in his zone yet. Like he's squashing it in the neutral zone before it even becomes a chance or, you know, before somebody watching will even know that something dangerous was happening, happening, like he'll, he'll take care of it. And then the one time that he doesn't, it looks like a terrible pinch or whatever, but he was been successful on it the other nine times and nobody, you know, it's hard to, it's harder to notice that. To me and so like for that one that one time that he gets caught you know he'll get he'll get blasted for it but i'm like he's playing more he's on the ice more than anybody else he has the puck more than anybody else yep. um and like i said 90 percent of the time you're not noticing him doing anything wrong it's that that one out of ten that you know bad pass or bad pinch or whatever that gets him in trouble but i think he's a stud and um you know kind of like the the forgotten man of the of the big three here that we've had um but certainly I think you know one of the most important players uh certainly on the current um you know on the current uh cup teams, the more current teams, but certainly in the in the history of the franchise as well
1: having a great time talking hockey here with the c f o of the pat McAfee show Phil Mains Phil I got a couple last ones for you. I can't have you on the podcast. Without asking, how did you and Pat meet? I don't know the story.
2: Oh, um, Pat and I have known each other since kindergarten. So. Oh wow, I had no idea. Uh, as far as like the first official meeting, I couldn't really tell you. But yeah, we've uh, <laughs> we've um, we grew up about uh, I don't know, maybe five minute drive or so uh, from each other, and went to the same elementary school um, since kindergarten. And um, obviously, he was he was a soccer player growing up and I was doing, you know, baseball and hockey primarily. And then, uh, we both kind of started football late. I started in eighth grade and I believe he started either freshman or, or sophomore year. Um, you know, he started kicking for us. And, uh, so that was like the only time that we were on a team together. Okay. Um, but outside, outside of all that, um, yeah we had a you know a small group of friends that um we did all kinds of you know high school things <laughs> together. I was gonna um,
1: ask you is there any Rudy crazy stories that stand out is there is there a crazy Pat Phil story that stands out
2: there's a lot of crazy <laughs> Pat Phil stories, for sure um but you know the ones that I cherish the most are uh just him coming to hockey like he was you know our biggest fan at, at the hockey games you know banging on the glass and getting kicked out of games occasionally and then he seems um, like he would have know, been a hockey play.
1: player why didn't he play he seems like he would be a perfect like Sean Avery type trash talking in your face guy why didn't he play
2: um uh, that's a good question uh he was um, obviously i mean he was like an all-state soccer player oh, okay uh he started playing volleyball uh, in high school and he loved that he you know a lot of times he says that that was his favorite sport actually and i think he was uh, he might have been all state in that say all section at least wow. um and then obviously as as a kicker on the football field uh he had a lot going on i'm pretty sure soccer and football were the same season and then hockey would have been in there too so um yeah that's that's probably why but funny story is uh his his neighbor, um, growing up, uh, she married R.J. Umberger. From,
1: yeah. The flyer. From Plum.
2: Yeah. yeah. Um, and one year, just one time, uh, while I was uh, doing a little bit of coaching, he came out, um, he wore R.J.'s gear. So he had like the half shield and he had, uh, I think maybe Columbus blue jacket shell on and all this stuff. And, he came and skated uh, at one of our practices. It was pretty cool to watch, but um, he'll tell, if you ask him, he'll tell a story about him crossing the blue line and, and uh, letting a wrist shot go and oh, yeah, hitting, it off. Off the, hitting, hitting it down off the crossbar. Yeah, bar down.
1: Bar so, down, yeah, sure, um, Matt, sure yeah,
2: yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, but, yeah, that's the, uh, you know, um, he was a big supporter. Uh, I think he enjoyed watching Watching hockey and um, you know our, we had a good group. We were just supported each other and uh, had each other's backs um, in high school for sure. And then uh, he went to West Virginia and I went to Pitt. And uh, are those rivals? Yeah, there's, it was a big, big rivalry back in the day. Okay, okay. Backyard brawl. Oh, that was the game of the game of the year? Yeah. Oh, um, and kind uh, of like. Part of becoming an adult, there you know he had a he had a rough time um, in one particular game, and you know we we knew people on both sides, you know, friends of ours that went to West Virginia, friends of ours that went to Pitt, and kind of you know you saw the ones that weren't able to uh, kind of keep the friendship and the whatever you call it for your school, like the pride in your school or the pride in whatever uh keep that like yeah you know some people weren't able to keep those lines uh you know where where i think they should be um so it's like you know that's and then the same thing is you know he uh was drafted to the Colts. you know i grew up a steelers fan but i went to Colts steelers games and i rooted for him you know what i mean the the steelers weren't uh my friends you know what i mean they weren't um, they weren't you know they they uh they didn't they didn't really care if I cared for them or give me anything in return exactly. uh you know like like my friend would so um you know that's all a long long history, but uh it's just kind of as you look back, just always being there for each other and um obviously super lucky to be where we are now, but uh, I think this all stems back from. Having a true, a true friendship where, um, it wasn't just like, you know, uh, we didn't become friends like because it was mutually beneficial for either of us. You know, we were just friends and, uh, you were had boys. each other's back yeah. and then grew up together. And, you know, we have things that we helped each other with. And, um, so it just naturally, um, you know, went from, Elementary school to high school to you know college and as we became adults and fathers and all kinds of things, it's just kind of nice to have someone like that and then you know obviously we're lucky that Pat is who he is and um, yeah, we were, he was able to to build uh what everybody gets to enjoy now and um, yeah it's been it's been quite a ride
1: yeah, you guys got a great team. my last one for you Phil. When did you know and did you know that you you guys had something special? Was there a moment early on in the show where you were just sitting and you were watching or maybe you saw a replay or you read something online? Was there a moment when you're like, we got something here?
2: <laughs> uh, and this is always the tough part because, you know, I don't have like a, there's no secret formula. I think our secret is that we have Pat.
1: Um. And passion, you know, think, passion, so, passion too. everyone, everyone on that show.
2: Oh, for sure. We have, a like you said, we have a great group that's kind of been handpicked by Pat, who has a, a good eye for, for that and a good feel. Um, I was talking to somebody the other day or listening to an interview and um, they were talking about, you know, building a business on, on their feel, basically. And, um, you know, I've learned more. In the last, uh, what, five years or so that we've been doing this full time, um, you know, than I did in my four years in in college or anything like that. Just about business and business is just relationships and, you know, finding the right ones, the ones that work, the ones that you're willing to to fight for. And like I said, being there for each other. That's kind of what you need in a a partner or um, as a business uh, mentor or or whatever it, it may be. Um, and, you know, learn to trust my feel and, uh, trust my gut and, you know, Pat has given everybody, especially me, the, the freedom to kind of feel that way. You know, I don't, yep. it's okay to not do it, not do it by the book or it's okay. Maybe the numbers make sense, but, um, you know, you just have this feel of, you know, has to feel right as well. Um, I think is important. Um, and that. Kind of was a, a turning point for me, like being an, an accountant and a, you know, a numbers guy. Like I love numbers. Numbers tell a really good story and numbers really don't lie. Yep. Um, but, uh, you know, the feel of business is, is something that you don't, can't really get in, in, in a classroom. I don't think, um, uh, learned, learned a lot. Um, so yeah, we've, I think we've known, you know, Nick and, and Diggs and I, uh, you know, being around Pat for as long as we have, um, kind of always knew that he was going to he was gonna make something happen. I remember when uh, he decided to go to Barstool and um, he asked Nick and Diggs, uh, you know, to, to be a part of that and talking to talking to Nick about it and basically being saying, I think he was working, uh, like, kind of IT here in Pittsburgh, and I'm like, dude, you can always – you'll always be able to get that job the job you have now like if it's not the same exact place or position that you have now i mean you'll always be able to go back and do that you have your degree you know you, you have your work experience yeah um this is this is a chance like this is uh something that not everybody gets to do like you have to go you have to you have to go for it and um you know, it, I'm I'm glad it worked out. I would have hated, I hated to give him <laughs> bad advice there.
1: But, no, uh,
2: you know, we had confidence in in Pat and still do today. Um, you know, we're certainly here for whatever he needs, but uh, we're confident in his decision making. And um, yeah, it goes back. It goes back way before the show even started. Uh, we just knew that um, you know he wasn't going to stop until uh, you know, he was, he was successful at it and, um, lucky for us. You know, it didn't, it didn't take long. So
1: Phil, thank you so much. I know how busy you are and I know how much you have on your plate. So I want to say thank you so much. Uh, it's weird how we started talking about a year ago and then I started this podcast up. I'm like, I got to talk to Phil. So thank you so much. I really appreciate this. And we'll have to talk hockey again soon, man, when the season gets uh, a little closer.
2: Yeah. Thanks for having me. Uh, I don't get to do too many of these. I don't, I don't really like, uh, talking too much, but this was great. I appreciate it. I can talk hockey
1: anytime. You crushed it, buddy. You crushed it. You take care and all the best and uh, all the best with the show, not that you guys needed because you're taking over the world and I love it. So all the best and uh, we'll talk again soon, man.
2: I appreciate it, Brad. Thanks for listening. Wow.
1: I don't know how, how long you all have been following the Pat McAfee show, but I've been a huge fan of Pat's from his football career to Barstool to YouTube and now in the fall to ESPN. So to be able to get Phil on after a year, basically, of trying uh, was pretty awesome to be able to bring that interview to you. And I'm hoping to get Pat on later this summer as the NFL season approaches, get his thoughts on the upcoming season and his show moving to ESPN. So watch for that later this summer. I want to thank Kelly Rudy. An amazing interview with him today. Probably one of my favorites I've had through the first 10 episodes of the show. Um, we related a lot with our mental health battles and issues and going forward. Uh, I'm really looking forward to talking to Kelly some more and having him back on the show and continuing helping all of you. So you're not alone out there. Kelly and our inboxes are both open. You can follow me at my cards or mint on Twitter. Send me an email at my at gmail.com. And I'm here for you. So if you got a problem, you got a question, you need some help card related or not, I got your back. So you're not alone out there. So again, Thanks for listening. Next week's show isn't penciled in yet, but I have been talking to the people at AEW, John Schneider, the amazing PR team they have. So I'm hoping to hook up with someone next week. Have it be CM Punk, Chris Jericho, Sting, Darby Allin, just someone on the show to talk some wrestling, some sports, and just bring a really great interview and show to all of you. So if you like what you hear, send me a message, leave me a comment, leave me a review. Let me know you like it. Let me know what you don't like. And uh, if you have any guest requests, send them my way as well. I will do my best to get them on and bring those interviews to all of you. So, again, I want to thank Skyhawk Auctions for being a huge part of this show. Check them out at skyhawkauctions.highbid.com. Amazing card lots for all your collecting needs. So, yeah, have a great week. We will talk to you next week from my new home. Happy sipping. Happy ripping. Take care, everybody.